Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Cloudwater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. In the days of King Herod of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. One day, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How can I know that this will happen? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. While the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary, when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. After those days, His wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. This is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Ah, Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. On Tuesday during Bible study, you know, as this story was what we were about to dig into, I asked the groups if they 
uh, if they could relate by asking an icebreaker. And the, and the question I asked them was, when have you received unexpected news? And how did you respond? And perhaps did your response change over time as that news started to settle in? This is probably one of the most talkative opening questions that we've ever had at the Bible study. Like, there was so many people who had a response to this question. Uh, almost every single example, however, tended to be one of sad news or devastating news, perhaps a terminal diagnosis of a loved one. JFK's assassination was on someone's mind this past week. 9-11 came up, and people started talking about how they initially responded to that news or to the news of a loved one, and then how that changed as that reality started to sink in. Uh, even the author of the book that has kind of guided this series for Advent for us, uh, she wrote a book called An Unlikely Advent, where she features different people who are also part of this nativity scene, but not there on the scene that we might think of in our porcelain displays on our mantle. Uh, Rachel Billups wrote about this as this was her first chapter, was talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth, and she immediately related to her first news and how she responded to an unfortunate medical diagnosis in her family. And that kind of just sparked a lot of stories, it sparked a lot of ideas. In my own life, it reminded me of when we first found out about our son Oliver, when when he was five months old, you know, we took him to St. Cloud to get an MRI expecting that we would have learned that there was a tumor on his optic nerve. But what we learned was not that. Instead, we found out he was missing part of his brain and that he'd be severely disabled. So here's a picture with his happy sister, and here's Oliver, how he was for much of his early childhood, was uh, not very happy and not very content. My, my first response when we first heard that news truthfully was confusion and denial and anger and all of those negative emotions, all those feelings. I couldn't help but uh, grapple with that question of why. But that follow-up question that I asked was important in my own self-reflection to think about how that understanding of why and where things kind of take us, it does start to change over time and we do start to see things a little bit differently. I'll be honest with you, those first few years with Oliver, when we had constant trips to the doctor, he almost died on Good Friday and changed that meaning of that day for me forever. He had a prolonged stay on hospice before eventually he found a, a place of stability, and this is kind of how he is now today. He's, he's, got a, he's got this new sense of, of, of purpose in this reality that we as a family have, have walked around. But I remember those first years and, and those first moments of being really, really hard. And the, the hardest part was, I think, was a change in, in the expectations. What this meant for us. Soon after the diagnosis, uh, Taryn found an interesting reading, uh, this poem by a woman named Emily Kingsley. And she, she go, it goes a little like this. She said, when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip. To Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make wonderful plans. You're going to go see the Colosseum, Michelangelo's David, the gondolas in Venice, and you even learn a few handy phrases in Italian so you can be polite. It's all very, very exciting. But after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives and you pack your bags and off you go. And several hours later, the plane lands and the flight attendant comes on the speaker and says, Welcome! Welcome to... 
Holland. Holland, you say? I, what do you mean, Holland? I, I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. The plane has landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, awful place. It's just different. So you must go and buy a new guidebook, and you must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people who you would have never met before. It's just a different place. A little less flashy than Italy, but after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and tulips and even a few Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, bragging and telling you about what a wonderful time they've had there. But for the rest of the life, you say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go, but that's what I had planned. And the pain will never go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. However, if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and lovely things that you will find in Holland. Oliver was about one, one and a half when we found that poem. And it really helped center us. And perhaps as I'm talking today, your mind might be wandering to your own story. Have you ever had expectations that suddenly just poof, everything changed? Have you ever anticipated that this one path that you were going on was going to be the path that you were going to keep going? And then when you had to divert, you weren't ready for it. You know, it's fun to tease about our resistance to change, especially in the church, Deacon Steve. It's not that we're resistant to change, as he talked about in his uh, prayer lab minute during during, uh, Reformation Sunday. But you think about change, and and the the reason I think we resist it is because we don't like to lose control. We want to know how to be able to control what's going to happen next. Maybe we are confronted with so much change in our daily lives that we want church to be that one steady, constant place of stability. Which is interesting because all of the stories that we read in the Bible week in and week out are about people who have to respond to change. People who are confronted with things that they weren't anticipating. So you might think that Zechariah and Elizabeth or even Mary and Joseph for that matter are the only people that have been surprised and have had to make this massive change because this thing that they weren't expecting has now been thrust upon them. Especially when it comes to these pregnancies, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is filled with stories about people who were barren and then miraculously a birth happened. For example, Abram and Sarah. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, who had Isaac, or in Genesis 25, where Isaac now, with Rebekah, has Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Leah, you know, Jacob is not able to have children, and then all of a sudden Leah, boom, all of a sudden Reuben and all of these sons come along, and Rachel, after a significant wait, finally has Joseph. In Judges 13, we hear about Manoah, and then his son, who finally comes, this blessing 
very similar to the reading that we just had with Zechariah and Elizabeth, where Samson would be born. You know, Samson, the one with the long hair who can't cut his hair, he takes a Nazarite vow just like John the Baptist does. Or in 1 Samuel, when Elkanah and Hannah, and Hannah has been praying for this child, and soon as Samuel is born, what's the first thing she does is she gives this to the synagogue. This son is now going to be able to walk and become a very important leader in the church. Or 2 Kings 4 and the Shunammite woman. It happens over and over and over again. But that doesn't change the fact that as these stories happen, we see how it plays out in their lives. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had the loss of a dream. And maybe we can forgive Zechariah for being a little bit skeptical when the angel informs him that he's going to have a baby. This prayer of his that has finally been answered. Yeah, he'd been praying for a child for years, but now at this advanced age, now the prayer is finally answered? I think the two of them had probably moved on. Maybe in Zechariah's mind, he'd given up on that dream. His first question is, how can I know this is going to happen? And so the angel tells him that since he didn't believe, he'll be mute until the child is born. But Elizabeth never seems to have given up hope. You know, she felt ashamed in a society of honor and shame. That theme was loud and true. But because of her role and how that was defined, Elizabeth felt ashamed. And now that shame has been lifted. This is truly good news to her. Yes, this child's going to be different. This child's going to be set aside. It's going to take this vow. No drinking and cutting of his hair. But this is going to be an important figure. This child would be different. This child would be uniquely qualified to prepare the way. Out of the unexpected, John will be born to lead to, some, to someone even bigger than himself. As we begin the season of Advent, we remember John's arrival as the one preparing the way for an even bigger dream to become a reality. Jesus. Jesus is coming. In fact, Jesus' arrival is so unexpected, so unbelievable, that there were plenty of skeptics when he finally shows up. Many of Jesus' closest followers thought that they were on a trip to Italy that he was this great promised Messiah, that he was going to be the one to slaughter their enemies. Imagine their disappointment when Jesus doesn't ride in on a war horse, but on a humble donkey. Imagine the shattered dreams when he isn't preparing his people to overthrow the empire with swords, but instead preaches about God's kingdom and reigning through love and mercy and loving thy neighbor. We wait to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, but Jesus is already here. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until Christmas. We don't have to ignore the needs of our neighbors, the needs of others, while we long for the coming of a Savior. We don't have to withhold forgiveness and mercy until Jesus can teach us how to do it. Jesus has already taught us these things. Jesus is here already. Having Jesus in our lives, in our hearts, and in our voices changes everything. So whether we end up in Italy or Holland or even here in Forest Lake, 
Jesus is on this journey with us. You know, the most important part of the journey I took with Oliver, that hardest part of that journey was in those moments where I was filled with grief and sadness. I can look back and see how Taryn and I were being surrounded, how God was with us, guiding us, encouraging us. God was so present with us. Might not have seen it in the time and in the moment, but we knew we weren't alone. Expect the unexpected. Because whatever we face, we can know with confidence that Jesus is with us each and every step of that way. Amen. 